Welcome to the 16th episode of The Brief. I'm your host, Jaunty Summers. Today, we're going to be chatting to Adnot Senior Advisor in Group Communications, Dr. Connie Judge, and Ford Communication Group's Group Managing Director, Ray Eglinton, discussing the transition back to the office. Is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? How are they preparing for a return to the office? And how do they help their teams transition back to work in physical office environments following the COVID-19 lockdown measures? Connie, Ray... Thanks for joining us today. No problem, glad to be here. Connie, if I could start with you. Your career has trodden a really interesting path. You obviously moved from an English and communications major via a PhD in performance psychology. And and professionally, obviously, you spent a a little bit of time in agency and moved on to employee communications roles with GE and BP. And then over the last 16 years, you've worked with a a whole range of global companies developing and, and implementing internal communications engagement strategies often part of as a change transformation programs. And you've been with Adnoc since last year. What has been your focus of your time at Adnoc? My background is pretty much devoted to employee communication and change. So for the past 30 years, and with Adnoc, the focus has been on internal communications and culture change. With COVID, uh, <laughs> that threw a bit of a spanner into the works. But now it's focusing on how we are going to use this time to get employees stabilized, reinvent, and look at what our next normal is going to be, and really use it to impact our culture in a positive way. But you were brought on, obviously, before COVID. I mean, as COVID has presumably, has it changed everything that you're doing? Absolutely. It's added a different filter to everything. And in some ways, it's enabled us to I think, move faster than we would have been able to without COVID. So I guess that's the the positive side. We've been able to do a lot more behavior-based comms, you know, leveraging behavioral neuroeconomics to drive specific behaviors. And also because the culture is disrupted right now, we can leverage that as an opportunity to move our organization along the path that we'd like it to go. Yeah, it's fascinating. Perhaps, Ray, we can talk a little bit more about some of those things in, in a moment. And Ray, perhaps I can bring it over to you. And you've uh, seen a number of major kind of societal shocks, downturns, financial crises, you know, a variety of things. With the benefit of hindsight of six months of COVID, how does this situation that we're facing at the moment differ from what we might have experienced in, in other shocks of the, over the last 30 years or something? Well, you're right, John. See, I started my career in a terrible recession. We set up four communications in a bad recession just as 9-11 happened and along the way been through many others. I think the thing with COVID is just the speed and the depth of the impact. Normally, I think in, in recessions, you can kind of see it coming a bit more and you have the chance to therefore be acting and make changes earlier on. This was just almost overnight in business terms. But I do agree with Connie, it's therefore, as do all recessions, it's led to opportunity to, to make change. And the speed of that has meant that we can all, you know, we can all change more quickly. And that's about working patterns. It's about the type of work we as an industry deliver. And I think we're seeing a lot of change there. And and in a microcosm, it's also not just how we communicate on behalf of our clients, but how we communicate within our businesses, which I think Connie was also referring to. And in many ways, I've seen lots of ways that that's been able to improve thanks to the, the ways that we can all connect and talk much more quickly without necessarily having to be physically together. Yeah, Connie mentioned, I mean, Adnoc was already undergoing a, a major 
organizational change. But I guess a disruption on top of a disruption presents stuff that you don't really get in the normal run of business. I mean, what sort of things, Connie, have you been able to think about that you wouldn't have been able to think about had it just been kind of a normal change program at Adnock? Well, I think when it started, as we were saying, much faster than than we expected. It seemed, you know, it, it was theoretical and we were doing scenario planning and then all of a sudden everybody was home. So it was, it was fairly abrupt. So we had to think about phases and the first phase was looking at how we can respond and, and provide reassurance and handle the, the healthcare crisis elements of it so that people, you know, knew what was happening and understood what was happening. At the same time, we were, we did research to try and get a benchmark and the closest we could find is really SARS in terms of behavior and how, what our ideal was. So we found the people that emerged, I guess, most healthy post-SARS, they had four factors. So they were male, which we can't control, but they were physically healthy, they had social connections, and they worried less. So in that first phase, our, our comms and our messaging was all around promoting those behaviors and those feelings so that we could get people through the other side as quickly as possible, which is where we are now as in, in kind of the re-entry phase. As you mentioned, we were going through a transformation anyway that's been going on for a few years. And up to this point, you know, you talk about values and those are words on a page. This is an opportunity and has been an opportunity to really live the values that Adnock espouses for its employees and demonstrate through action, which is a much more powerful way of enacting change. You mentioned opportunity there. And I think, Ray, to throw it to you, I mean, there was quite a lot of talk early on about the opportunities that this might throw up. What, what sort of opportunities have you or your clients seen over the last six months that they just wouldn't have been looking at in 2019 or 2018 or in previous years? Well, I think we'd take that in two parts, really. Firstly, the, the internal opportunity, which has just been to reinvent how we all work and how we work within our business, how we work as colleagues, how we work across geographies and offices. And we've used this period to really evaluate what we can do that's different, what we can take that carries on beyond this current period. So we've run surveys with our teams. We've had focus groups from our employees, really asking them the questions of what are the things that we can change as we come out of this? What are their concerns? What do they see as the opportunities? And I do think exactly as you'd expect, the office of next year will be very different to the office of last year. And I think we'll, you know, we'll move into a, a position where we really have everybody in the office at the same time. People are much more fluid in, in where they work and in how they work. And, and I think we're very comfortable with that. We, we kind of had a lot of that in place already. And so I think, you know, that will just continue to evolve and develop. And it's part of a bigger thing about how, you know, how cities and how locations will develop when suddenly people aren't all present. Our largest office is right slap bang in the centre of London. And of course, I think that high value real estate markets like that will see impacts into the long term. Have you used this as an opportunity to strike an advantageous new real estate deal in central London? I wish we'd been able to, um, to do that overnight. But as you know, that's not quite how these things work. But the serious point is, it is allowing us to look at how we use space and how we 
how we manage space. And I think you'll see in the next year or two years, we'll, we'll be a very different animal to where we've been in the past. And that is all about opportunity. I think geography is also interesting. We've always thought we work very well between our locations, the UK and, and here in the Middle East. But wow, that's really improved now that we've been able to work in different ways as a result of, of the crisis. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of this that will carry on. Yeah. Connie, you must have literally overnight reinventing the wheel and continuing to reinvent it as the situation updated. It was interesting timing in that, as I mentioned, remote working hadn't really been occurring at Adnoc previous to COVID-19. And they were just launching Microsoft Teams the week of lockdown, the week when everything started. So it was an exercise in fast adoption. So there was a, there had been a plan to introduce this, which obviously we were thinking and, and planning how to get people to try it. And, and all of those plans went out the window and suddenly people were forced to use this tool, but they adopted it really, really quickly. So that was fortunate timing. But when you talk about the different locations, it's changed behavior dramatically for the organization to realize that people don't have to physically come together. You can communicate from different locations simultaneously. You can have a town hall and include, you know, thousands of employees in one go. We don't, so we just had safety week last week. Whereas before that had been a series of face-to-face engagements or physical town halls for the first time, the entire company because it's in one geography, basically, is able to join simultaneously. So, you know, that's the the bonus out of this. It has opened a, a new channel to reach our employees and a new way to engage them in one goal that was, I think would have taken us years, if ever, to, <laughs> to get to this yeah. level of adoption. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. But it's, it's going to be a great example you can use if somebody in future always tells you, well, it's always done, been done this way, so we can't do it any other way, I guess. Trying to, you know, introduce that behavior pre-COVID and say, you know, my brain works just as well in London. Um, I can dial into a meeting. It, it just didn't connect. So now having this new language and this new way of connecting with one another opens up a lot of opportunities, but it also puts some stresses on relationship that have to have a lot more trust. Um, if you can't see people, if you're used to physically seeing people working, now they're not in your line of sight. How we go forward uh, and the decisions that, that are taken by leadership involves trust on both sides. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic to think about is how do we propel that and uh, build on what we've, what we've achieved so far. Yeah, Ray, and you, I mean, trust is obviously central to making this sort of thing work. Have you seen new levels of trust between management of, of companies and, and employees, or, or is it just that they've had to make it happen? Well, I think the, the interesting way to look at it is slightly differently, is that, that every, everybody did have to make it happen. And, you know, some businesses embraced it, some were already doing it. You know, we, we had a policy at four already that we were very open to home working or wherever people wanted to work, partly because with two offices in the UAE, people were constantly going, traveling between the two. They're out at client events, et cetera, et cetera. So we've always been very relaxed as to physically where people are. But I think the, the thing that I've noticed now is we're, as we're starting to come out of the of that enforced period is talking to people who work for companies where there isn't that trust there and that you know the companies are pushing people to be back 
or you know forcing them to be incredibly detailed about what they're doing in a day and account for every minute of time and in quite overbearing ways and, and those companies i think will suffer because once we get into more of an economic recovery mode i think people will want to work where they are trusted yeah, interesting. I mean, Connie, what are the sort of some of the things that you've, uh, that Adnoc has, has done to engender this feeling of trust in employees? A lot of sensing, a lot of listening and making sure that, uh, you know, we have a finger on the pulse of what employees are thinking and feeling and keeping those communication lines really open. So, you know, everybody knows what's happening, where we are, where we're going and, and has as much clarity as, as possible. So it's where, where we are now, where we're bringing employees back to the office in waves, we're, we're in a, a, this transition stage where each wave that comes back, uh, you know, they come back in the office isn't what it was when they left. So even as they're getting used to letting go of what it used to be and thinking about what this means for them individually, we've got lots of different people in lots of different places, if that makes sense, um, psychologically and emotionally. So keeping everyone connected and making sure line managers have the tools to communicate with their employees, give them the flexibility to work remotely, depending on their specific situations. And, and they have the, the ability and the information to do that has been really key for us. Yeah, you mentioned the you mentioned the, the kind of psychological aspects of the return to work, and it, it and it strikes me that many people are quite fearful about the prospect of of returning into a into a working environment where there's much closer proximity and they don't know where people have been or who they've been in contact with. How are you seeing that with within an ad hoc context? We did several sensings before people started coming back to the office to get an idea of how they felt about things and if they felt like they had enough information or being communicated with, and very positive results. We really doubled down on comms when everybody was um, in lockdown and and had a, a very robust cadence, and that was appreciated. When we started bringing people back, we created this rhythm, and part of that is a sensing. So after they're notified that they, they need to come back, that they've been called back, before they, they come back, we have an engagement with them where they go through the guidelines and what they can expect. And then we also send a survey right after that and ask them how they feel about it. And then after they're back in the office for a week, we sense again and see how their scores change. And overall, the scores have been incredibly, incredibly positive where, you know, 92% of the employees after they get back in the office say that they feel safe in the office. And then when we ask them, how do you think your colleagues that haven't returned would feel? Sometimes when you ask someone how someone else feels, they'll give you a a more honest answer. And that was really interesting because we could see if we asked them, how do you think people feel now that aren't back in the office? And how do you think they'll feel after they return? There was an increase. So they believed that after people returned, their colleagues returned to the office, they too would feel more positive. So that tells us that fear and trepidation, once people get back to the office, they see this is actually an incredibly safe place. It creates that level of confidence. uh, And then people begin to feel better as they go through that transition of letting go of what it was, working through neutral, and then starting to identify what the future is going to be. Ray, when did when did I mean you've obviously got multiple location offices? I mean, when did your office doors reopen, and and how did you go about communicating this to to stakeholders and your teams? 
We haven't, John. Say we're still okay. working remotely. One of the major reasons for that is I think it comes back to that point of trust. One of the ways of engendering that is, is having your employees being part of the solution and part of deciding how it is that we do work. And we just run a second survey, I think a couple of weeks ago, on on timing to come back. And people are, are very very happy working in the ways that they are. And as long as we're having delivering the same quality and consistency and, and results for our clients, we're, we're very happy with that. We do have people coming in and out where clients have requested or, or we have occasional needs to do so, and that's fine. But the more staged process of bringing people back, I think, will happen following the summer. Are you focusing on anything now that you weren't previously? I mean, for example, you know, mental health policies, wellness, you know, surveying. Is there anything you've done differently? Well, we, we certainly we had in place a pretty good program of well-being and, ment- and particularly mental health support services for staff. And I'm glad we did because I think that's an area that a lot, a lot of companies hadn't had in place and suddenly had to scramble to have that level of support from what I've heard anecdotally. But Yeah, well, it was, it, it was one of the reasons why we set up the wellness program for uh, in uh, MEPRA earlier this summer. Yeah, which I thought which I thought was a really great initiative. And, and I don't know what the usage has been like, but I'm sure it's, it's very valuable for to have those kind of services in place. I, I think there are steps, though. I think, that's, um, I think that's a really important capability to have. But I think one of the things that we've tried to do is ensure that we kind of trickle down the ability to have somebody to, to talk to and somebody to contact about any issues you know, so often it's it's trying to um, ensure people feel they have support early on in an issue that they're that they're facing, and that therefore they they feel they've got places to go. And within our company, that's both with your within your client teams or with your line manager, or we have a whole separate route with the HR teams if they feel that they they'd like to you know talk to someone outside of the day to day, plus that external capability. And then one of the really pragmatic things I think that we did early was, was just make sure that each team starts the day with a daily Zoom call. And sometimes it might just be 10 minutes every day. People dial in, are visible on screen. And partly it's about work, but partly it's about ensuring that connection is there. And it isn't just, you know, keeping in touch through email or telephone calls. There's some um, face-to-face time. I think that's overall been quite helpful. Oh yeah, Connie. You, Connie, perhaps you are from an adnoc perspective. Things like being visible on screen, particularly, how practical is that in an adnoc context? I'm assuming you have some meetings that have quite a few participants, and you've also got some cultural differences where people might be less comfortable to be seen on a screen. People, I think, are more confident um, sharing their camera when they're in the office than they were when they were at home. It does definitely make a make a difference to see how people feel. And then introducing other activities, doing kind of a a temperature check at the end of meetings to say, how are you feeling personally and professionally? Are you red, amber, green? It helps people not just know how they're feeling, but also emphasize that you you care. And in ADNOC, they introduced an employee assistance program for the first time as part of uh, the response to COVID. has been very well received. And um, I think the attention on mental well-being and health 
has been dramatically increased and uh, a very, very positive outcome from this entire experience has, has been the ability for people to talk about these issues, acknowledge the stress and have um, a way to to get help and support. How difficult do you think it was for leadership to look beyond the kind of immediate you know, couple of weeks how difficult was that for them? And will, and as a follow-up question, have you observed any changes in how the leadership in Adnock makes decisions and will this situation change how they make future decisions? You have to think of, of things simultaneously. So even as you're responding to the crisis or to the situation, you're also thinking about the future. So holding both of those in mind, you know, what is the response and reassurance? What are we going to do on reentry from day one? When we left the office, we were thinking about what did, what do we need to do to set ourselves up for when we eventually go back? So we were prepared for that. And also from day one, we were thinking about what are the long-term ramifications and how can we use this to to reinvent ourselves or uh, what, however we want to position ourselves coming out of this. So I think it's just a matter of, of holding those things together. And then, of course, we had the oil price. So we had a crisis on a crisis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been in oil and gas for a lot of my career, and I've seen, I've seen $10 a barrel oil before in the uh, you know, early 2000. But this was, um, was, there was a lot of unprecedented happening um, uh, simultaneously, I've got to say. So I think the speed at which decisions have needed to be made has shortened ridiculously and not in a way that it's just what has to be done. And I think we're becoming more and more nimble and flexible and responsive to that. And at first it feels like this is going so quickly, but as we, as we get going, we're making decisions in the most responsive, shortest, uh, most appropriate timescale that we can because it's a daily change, you know, the, the numbers change and the situation change. So, so it requires a lot of different behavior and different thinking. I think it was really fortunate that Adnock had already gone through the initial transformation steps because they were positioned uh, well to respond quickly to the, the demand of this change in this time. What would you say are the kind of one or two big things that you've taken away from the last six months? The importance of making sure that your values are first and foremost, and that every decision that you're taking, the way you're communicating uh, the decisions and uh, the way you're engaging with your employees re reflects your values. When we brought started bringing people back to the office in the first waves, it really was pretty much voluntary. It was like, do you feel comfortable? If you feel comfortable coming back and making sure that we really respected the individual uh, and how they felt. And I think that's the key to the success of, of how it's um, gone and how it continues to progress. I think looking at you know how we can continue to build on the trust and responsibility on both sides is you know key to to the future and making sure that we continue to build on on this and and that we that we don't backslide you know that we we take the learnings from this time and we emerge stronger more connected this has driven levels of collaboration across the organization that have taken us to to a different place and i i think everyone's uh, really focused and committed to making sure that we continue that progress and that trajectory and ray just just lastly from you what you've done differently this was so quick, it's very difficult to identify what, what you'd have done differently and what you'd have, have changed. I think that idea of the mental health support for the teams and just even more in that 
area is, is probably the, the main thing, just because you you know it's easy to forget just how difficult it was for people in April when they were stuck in and you know apartments, not being able to go out at all on their own. You know, was some quite difficult places for people, and and that's probably the one area I think I'd, I'd hope we could have done more. But I, you know, I think we did okay. But overall, I, I think this is just one of those where it happened so quickly and it was so deep. We were we were all stuck facing the same problems immediately. And I, and, and I think people did step up to the plate pretty well, both individually and corporately. Well, thank you very much, both Dr. Connie Judge and Ray Eglinton. We're going to leave it there. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. That's all for today from us here at Metro on the Brief. Thank you for listening. Entries are now open for the 2020 Awards, which celebrate the brightest, the boldest and the bravest in Middle East PR. This year's the 12th edition, uh, and there are a whole load of categories up for grabs. Mepri is going to provide a 50% discount on award entries to help ensure all our professionals can participate. Head to mepri.org forward slash awards for more details. <laughs>